very good morning once again to my brethren and friends that are with us this morning. Thank you for taking time to be with us to join us in worshipping our great God. We are currently on a series of lessons talking about our relationship with one another. And this actually tells us about the blessings and the responsibilities that we have as a Christian. Just as we receive from others, we also have to do to others as well. And this morning we'll be talking about a topic that is entitled, Admonish One Another. So far, all the things that we've been talking thus far have been quite positive. But today, I hope that you will not be taken in a negative light even if we talk about admonishing. The word admonishing, what does it mean? Well, admonishing can have two aspects to it. It comes from the Greek word, which means to admonish, to warn, and to exhort. So you notice that there is a, towards a negative component, which is to warn people, but it also has a positive ex- component, which is to exhort others. Uh, we have spoken about the positive aspect when we talk about edifying one another. So today I want to focus more about the part of warning others. And you might wonder then, who needs to be admonished? Who do we admonish? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14, Paul says to warn them that are unruly. Okay. So those who are unruly needs to be warned. The Greek word for unruly also has the idea of disorderly. Or it's even used in, for soldiers of being working out of ranks. So it means that when you're one marching, you are not in step, you are out of step. So when you think about the idea of soldiers marching, we are soldiers in God's kingdom. We are soldiers of Christ. So when you're working out of step with God's word, then we need to be corrected to be brought into step. I think for those males that have gone through national service, you know how parades are, right? You march parade, you don't march in step, you have to keep doing over and over again until you do it correctly. So similarly, when you look at it in a religious context, it's the same thing. We need to help others to march along to the step of the Word of God. Well, we understand now what is admonished and who needs to be admonished. The next question naturally is, who needs to do the admonishing? You know, many times when brethren have problems, have sin, others will oftentimes go to who? Go to the elders, go to the preachers, right? And of course, they need to admonish others. Or we see that, the duty to admonish falls on all Christians as well. Elders have the responsibility to admonish because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So notice Paul talks about those who are over us in the Lord. Who are those that have oversight of us? Of course, he refers to elders. So elders have to admonish. Elders have to warn the flock to make sure that they are walking along the straight and narrow path. Preachers too have a duty to admonish. In fact, Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, he says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul was a diligent preacher. Night and day for three years, he has been warning them against sin. So preachers have the duty, they have the responsibility to admonish as well. But, in our key text for today, which will be taken from Romans 5, 15, verse 13 and verse 14, Paul talks about the duty of all Christians to admonish. Notice the word one another, it's reciprocal. Okay. Particularly in verse 14, Paul says, I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So Paul talks about Christians. In fact, he has confidence in the Roman Christians that they are able to admonish one another. So this duty falls on all Christians. 
You know, according to the recent comment that is made by a veteran Hong Kong actor, Ben Sui, okay, he has this to say about Singaporeans. Uh, he made this comment in Chinese. He says, 新加坡人被政府宠坏了,喜欢投诉. So translated in English, it means that Singaporeans have been spoiled by the government. They like to complain. So you probably think that, oh, people like to complain. Admonishing may come naturally to us. But actually, we see that this is not the case. In fact, I think admonishing is probably one of the harder duties to do in a Christian, uh, as a Christian. Of course, the other also being forgiving one another. Even though we see that Christians are given the duty to admonish one another, yet many will be reluctant to do so. It's never easy to admonish others uh, because people don't like to confrontation. We admonish others, probably there will be some resistance. People will point the fingers back at us. And so we do not like that. So it's very hard to find people that are willing to admonish others. And so Paul tells us five qualities that Christians need to have when we admonish others. And this will be taken from our key text for today. Romans 15, verse 13 and verse 14. I'd like for us to look briefly first at the five qualities that are required before we go into each of these qualities in depth. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13 and verse 14, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So notice that Paul lists down five qualities for someone to be an effective admonisher. He needs to have joy, peace, hope, goodness, and knowledge. But notice not just having these qualities. Uh, notice the words he described about having these qualities. He says you need to be filled with joy and hope. You need to abound in hope. You need to be able to be full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. So notice the words, filled, abound, full, and filled. Uh. This suggests the idea of overflowing with these qualities. So not just having a bit of these qualities, but being known for them, having the overflowing of such qualities, so that we can be effective admonishers. In fact, when we think about someone who is an effective admonisher, I think one name comes to our mind. One whom we often call the son of encouragement, talking about Barnabas. And why was he such a person who is able to encourage others, able to correct others? Well, it's because he has all these qualities in him. In fact, Acts 11 verse 24 tells us of Barnabas. Through the inspired scriptures, we see that it tells us of the qualities that he exhibit. He is someone who was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. We see that there is joy and peace in him, because he is full of the Holy Ghost. And joy and peace are part of the fruit of the Spirit. So definitely, he has joy and peace. The Bible also spoke about the hope that is in him. Because you see, at one point in time, he was serving the church in Jerusalem. But he went as far as Antioch in order to preach to the brethren, to encourage them. When the brethren heard that the Christians were converted in Antioch, they sent him. If he had no hope, why would someone travel the long distance to go to Antioch? This was a man that was full of hope as well. And the Bible also told us that he is a good man, so he is full of goodness. And he has knowledge because he is full of faith. And how does faith come about? Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we see that Barnabas was an effective immunisher, particularly because he had all these good qualities in him. And so in this morning's lesson, we'll focus on these five qualities that enable us to be able to admonish one another just as the Roman Christians were able to do so. 
And in particular, we want to look at Barnabas' example, how he became an effective admonisher with all these qualities that are in him. Without further ado, let's look at the first quality, the quality of joy. It comes from the Greek word kara, which means joy and gladness. Someone who is very pleasant, who is happy. And I think we can all agree that ammunition is more readily accepted from someone who is pleasant than someone who is critical. Isn't that so? Sometimes people are so pleasant, are so nice, that even when they talk to you, they, they, they rebuke you, they admonish us. It sounds like music to the ears. Uh. Because the person is so nice, we, 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 we kind of take that criticism to heart. We feel that when we know that it is constructive criticism. But on the other hand, when people are critical, uh, what do we do? Oh, the person is coming. I wonder what is the person going to say to me. What have I done wrong this time? Okay, right. So when people are pleasant, it makes the criticism easier to receive. According to the wise man in Proverbs 17 verse 22, he says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit, a crushed spirit, dries up the bones. Okay. Have you been around people who are so negative, uh, that it saps your energy, uh, you are very happy mood, uh, but you talk to them, uh, well, then you feel very drained. But when on the other end, there are people that are so encouraging. Uh, if you are down, you talk to them, hey, your spirit gets lifted up. So it's the same thing. When you want to admonish people, you should be full of joy. Having the pleasant disposition, being able to speak good of others when we correct them. It's not very effective uh, if every time you see a person, you will talk to them about negative things. They never comment them. When you hear that, uh, you can't, when they talk to you, you know that uh, yeah, your mind really shut off, right? You know that a person is going to comment, going to criticize, going to put you down. You won't be receptive to the criticism. So we need to be able to have the joy, the pleasantness, to be able to help others to change of their lives. Let's look at examples. I think example is easy for us to learn from. We look at the example of Micaiah. Okay. For example, we see that King Ahab wasn't receptive to the ammunition for Micaiah. Why is that so? Remember, King Ahab at this point in time was going to battle at Ramoth Gilead. Okay? And uh, he had the false prophets who told him what he liked to hear. Oh, you go forth, you will prosper. God will give you the victory. But of course, these are false prophets. Jehoshaphat wanted to know the truth. And he asked Ahab, Is there not a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat says, Let not the king say so. Of course, in this case, we know that King Ahab deserves it, because he was living in sin. So a prophet of God could have nothing good to say to this man. He had to rebuke the sin that he was in. But the principle I have to bring forth is that if every time you hear from a person, it's always rebuked, it's always negative, what would be your response? Probably you'll be like King Ahab, uh, even though it may be the truth, it may be helpful to you, it may be the right thing to say, but we say, I don't like to hear, talk to the person, I don't like to hear the person, because the person has nothing good to say about me. Uh. Every time I see him, it's always negative. Uh, this thing no good, that thing no good, everything also no good. Uh. You wouldn't like to hear from such a person, isn't it? But on the other hand, the son of encouragement, I'm oh, sorry, give me a second, I jumped too far. The son of encouragement, Barnabas, we see that this was a man who was able to encourage people. Why? Because this was a very pleasant person. A person that is so nice to be around with. Always encouraging. You'll notice in verse 23, the Bible tells us that when Barnabas came to the Christians in Antioch, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad and exalted them all. Notice this was a man who was glad to see the church going. 
And he had good words to say to them. He encouraged them from God's word. And that with purpose of heart, they will cleave to the Lord. And the Bible tells us what was the response after he exhorted them. Notice that his exhortation would have included preaching the gospel, telling them about sin, telling them about repentance, because subsequently we see that much people was added unto the Lord. This was a man who had good things to say, but when it comes to telling the truth, rebuking sin, he did the same as well. And so because of his pleasant disposition and the kind of encouragement that he was, notice people were receptive to the message. Huh? Much people were added unto the Lord. So in the same way, if you want to be effective soul winners, sometimes we need to look for the positive and accentuate that as well. Right? You look at people, don't every time they say, no, you are in sin, you are in error, everything you do is wrong. Of course, there are certain things that people believe that may be wrong. But there are also things that they believe that may be correct. For example, if people come to church, they will probably believe in God. They will probably believe in the Bible as well. So these are the things that we can comment about them. Not that you want to uh, flatter them, but look at things that are good about people and give them the commendation that they require. And then when the time comes that you need to be able to point out errors, then you'll be more readily accepted. So we can learn from Barnabas how he was someone who was a positive influence to the church because of his pleasant disposition and to be able to correct sin. And so brethren, the question is, are we full of joy to be able to admonish one another? As Christians, we should be, isn't that so? Because Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Christians should always be full of joy. And once we have that joy, we should be able to admonish one another in an effective manner. Don't go about life looking as if you have no hope, huh? like life is hopeless, like there's nothing to look forward to. Show the joy in us, and when you come to people, people are glad to hear from you. Even if it's a rebuke, they know that it is something good for them, it will lift their spirits. So the first thing we have discussed is that we need to have joy in order to be a good admonition. Secondly, we need to have peace. Peace comes from the Greek word irene, which means peace between individuals, harmony and concord. Again, when we talk about ammunition, you receive ammunition more readily from people you are at peace with, right? Rather than people who are against you. You will want to listen to ammunition from your friends rather than your enemies. Oftentimes, when people tell you things, a lot of times it depends on who tells us, right? If it's a friend, it's taken in good spirit. But an enemy tells you the same thing, uh, you'll be like, the person is finding fault with me, uh, the person doesn't like me. Well, that's the same thing when we talk about ammunition a brother. Do we have good relationships with our brethren? so that we can be able to admonish them. We live in harmony. Proverbs 27 verse 6 tells us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Even though a friend may cause us wounds, may say things that hurt us, but yet we know that it's for our good. But when an enemy does the same, oftentimes the wound cuts deeper than what he intends it to be. Okay. When you think about, look at this verse, sometimes it reminds me, I think one of my worst, harshest critics would be my wife. Whenever I ask my wife about things, uh, sometimes she will give me the honest truth. Uh. I think, hey, how's my sermon today? Too long, uh, too dry, uh, uh, not enough illustration. Sometimes I will try to try to uh, lead out a, a positive comment. I say, how about the content? Uh? Content okay, uh, but still too long. Uh. Okay. But, you know, it's taken in good spirit because I know that my wife will tell me the truth and tell, tell me how I need to improve. But imagine someone that cannot get along with me, tell me the same thing. Uh, the person is critical. Uh. I don't think his comment is constructive. You see, there's a difference. Likewise, he did the same when you ask your friends about things. Your friend gives you his opinion, you accept it more readily. That's why word of mouth is a very powerful tool of advertising, isn't it? You hear from a salesman, you'll be like, ah, the salesman has an agenda, I don't really believe him. 
But I'm very tell you about the same product. It's a very good product. You'll be, oh, okay, I want to buy. Where do you get it? I want to buy for buy it. Because you trust your friend. So likewise, when we talk about ammunition, we need to have the relationship so that we can be able to correct people to help them to come back to the right path. Again, let's look at some examples. Okay? We see that there were, in the Bible, it tells us a story about Jehoram and Ben-Hadad. Okay? Remember the story of Naaman? Naaman was a man who had leprosy. The king of, king of Assyria, that is Ben-Hadad, he heard about a prophet in Israel that could be able to uh, perform miracles. And so he wrote a letter to uh, King Ahab, or rather to King Jehoram, telling him that he sent Naaman to him to help him to get cured of his leprosy. But notice how did Jehoram take the message, the letter that came to him. The Bible says it came to pass when the king of Israel, that Jehoram, read the letter, he ran his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sent to me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. Notice this was something that the king of Syria sincerely tried to do. Uh. My best, best general is sick. He has leprosy. I want you to get your prophet to heal him. But how did Jehoram take to the message? This man wants to find a quarrel. Send me an impossible task, finding an excuse to try to attack me. Probably that's what's going in his mind. It didn't come to occur to him that, hey, I have Elisha here who is able to cure the man. But first thought is that this man wants to find a quarrel. Isn't that so? That when we talk to people that we don't like, we always interpret things in the worst light possible, like Jehoram. But imagine if the two of them were good friends, Akali Albadis, they'd be like, hey, this guy sent me. Let me think about who can help him. If I cannot help him, maybe I send it to someone else who can help. The message should be taken very differently. But because they were enemies, they were loggerheads, they were at war. Therefore, this message came to him as an excuse for Ben-Hadad to wage war upon him. On the other hand, let's look at the son of encouragement, Barnabas. You notice that Barnabas, because he was at peace with all the Christians, in fact, this was a very well-liked man. Therefore, what he says often carry a lot of weight. Remember when Saul became a Christian, all the other Christians in Jerusalem, they were very wary of him. Uh. I don't know whether this guy is uh, really converted, uh, or maybe he's trying to do a Wu Tian Tao, uh, trying to come in as a mole, trying to find out who is the Christian and betray them. They were all very skeptical, right? And the, the disciples withdrew from him. But notice along came Barnabas. Barnabas was someone that Christians respected, had peace with everybody. So when Barnabas came, he took Saul, he brought him to the apostles, he declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And notice what was the result. Saul was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. So after he corrected the brethren, telling them that, hey, you all need to welcome this new convert, he actually went through persecution, and now he became a Christian. We should accept him. Notice his admonition was very well accepted, right? Why so? Because he was at peace. But Saul wasn't at peace with them, so at one time persecuted Christians. So when he says that, I obeyed the gospel, nobody trusted him. Barnabas brought the same message. He obeyed the gospel. Everybody said, okay, let's welcome him now. Why the difference? Again, because of the relationship that they have. And so brethren, when we talk about admonishing others, we too need to have the peace, the harmony among brethren, so that the admonition will be taken in the best light possible. So the question comes again, are we full of peace? Do we have the peace to be able to admonish one another? Again, we should have that. Because Colossians 3 verse 15, Paul says, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We should be full of peace, being able to be at peace with others. As Romans 12 verse 18 tells us, as much as life be in you, be at peace with all men. 
the onus lies on us that we have to make peace with others. And one of the reasons is so that we can be effective and malicious. Let's now talk about the third quality that makes an effective and malicious. That of hope. It comes from the Greek word elpis, which means expectation of good, of hope. And again, we talk about ammunition. It's more readily accepted for people who are optimistic, who believe in people, than people who are doubtful. Isn't that the case? If people doubt you and they tell you something, what, what happens? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah? Oftentimes, when we don't believe in people, we tell people about things, but we don't believe that they will change. What will happen? The tone that we use, the way that we speak, oftentimes will turn people off. It can come across as you are being insincere. You want to tell me things, but you don't believe in me. Why should I change that? So it's not received in the good light. So once again, we talk about when we want to correct people, we need to do it with optimism, believing in people that they can change. After all, that is one of the qualities of love, isn't it? First Corinthians 13 verse 7 tells us, Love, believe all things, beareth all things, hopeth all things, endure all things. Love must believe in others' capacity and willingness to change. And that is why we bring the gospel. Because if we don't believe that people can change, why do we bring the message of the gospel to others? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 10, Or said he altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt is written, that he that plowers should plow in hope, and he that treasures in hope should be partaker of this hope. So notice Paul says we need to plow in hope. Huh? Plow in hope. Whatever we do, always believe that there will be a result. But sometimes we plow in doubt, huh? what will happen? There will be no outcome. Huh? Even when we talk about prayer to God, God says in James chapter 1, verse 5, what it says, a man who doubts, huh? okay, let not the man think that he will receive anything from the Lord. If we pray and we don't believe God will give us, huh? the answer is really there. God will not answer the prayer. So likewise, when we go to others, we want to correct them, we want to help them to change, believe in the good, the ability of people that they can make changes. They can become a better person. When we consider a person that was reluctant, a person that did not believe in people, one name came to, comes to my mind, that of Moses. Remember Moses was hesitant to go to the Israelites, uh, hesitant to go to Pharaoh. Why? Because he, didn't, he lost hope in humanity. Uh. After all, he did try his best, right? At one point in time, he tried to deliver the Hebrew from the Egyptian. He spied the Egyptian to save the Hebrew. What did these people do? Turn around on him. Uh. Oh, you're a murderer. Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? He went on the run for 40 years. I can imagine that his hope in humans was at the low at a point in time. I cannot trust people. Even when I do good to people, they turn their back on me. So now I'm going to go back to them and try to tell them that I'm a deliverer. I'm going to tell Pharaoh that let the people go. I'm a fugitive, an outlaw from the, the law. And yet you tell me to do that very same thing. Will people still believe in me? So I can imagine that this man was the one who had lost hope in people. And so when we see that he lost hope in people, that manifests in his hesitance to go to people. In the same way, if you don't believe people will change, uh, would you want to go to them? It's like going to knock our head on the wall. Uh, we think that nothing will come out from that. We will want to do that. And so we see in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses voice his doubt that people will not change. He says, the people will not believe me. They will not hearken unto my voice. For they will say, the Lord had not appeared unto thee. Despite God giving him a few miracles that he can show to the people, notice that his mindset has not changed yet. In fact, God had to compel him to go. Moses eventually gave the last excuse that he had. He says, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken to, us, to thy servant. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Well, when we look at Acts chapter 7, we see that Stephen tells us that he was a man mighty in words and deeds. 
So this was some excuse that he gave. He just didn't want to go because he was doubtful that people could actually change. In fact, we see that time and again, Pharaoh said that he would let the people go, but he refused. So some probably kind of reinforced his mindset and his doubt as well. But on the other hand, when we look at Barnabas, this was a man who believed in people, didn't he? Remember when the first missionary journey, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they went around and they brought around John Mark. This man let them down. And the Pamphylia decided that he's going to go home. He led them halfway in the mission trip. The second time round, as the English saying says, uh, once return twice shy, Paul says, I'm not going to take the risk. I don't want your mark. But Barnabas was insistent. Why so? Probably one reason it could be because uh, Barnabas was his nephew. He was the sister's son. Okay. But another reason probably is because he believed in the good of people. This was someone who sees the potential in John Mark that he could change. Can you imagine if John Mark had been written off? Probably would have not had the gospel of Mark. Uh. Maybe Mark would not have been a uh, preacher. He would not have been a gospel writer. But because someone believed in him, notice that this man changed for the better. He rewarded the trust that Barnabas put in him. So we see the account in Acts 15 verse 37 to verse 38 that Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take with him, to take him with them, who had departed from them for Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Subsequently, we see that John Mark and Paul reconciled. He says, take Mark with you, for it's profitable for the ministry. He recognized that Mark did deserve the second chance and he did change for the better. So many times we are hesitant to approach people because we don't think that they will change. But what happens if the person really listens to our advice, to the counsel, and they become a better Christian? Perhaps he will not just save his soul, but the soul of so many others. When by helping John Mark, did we realize that Barnabas saved more than just one soul? It's not just John Mark's uh, soul that was saved, but the people that he was able to influence, the preaching that he had done to others. Saving one soul actually equate to saving many more souls. Saul had a chance, remember? Ananias gave him the chance to obey the gospel. He saved his soul, and in turn, Paul saved a lot of other people. Likewise, that with John Mark. Can we give the same chance to our brethren, help them to turn back to the truth, and in turn, they can probably be of greater service in the lost kingdom. And so brethren, again the question we want to ask, are we full of hope to be able to admonish one another? When we want to correct people, believe in them that they can make a positive change in their life. And we need to have this hope because the Bible tells us that Christ, God has given us a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. God gave us a lot of hope, didn't He? When we are sinners, Christ died for us because God believed that we can be a better vessel for His service. So just as God gives us this hope, we need to have the same hope in others as well. And now let's come to the fourth character we want to talk about. The character of goodness. It comes from the Greek word agato sune, which means uprightness of heart and life, goodness and kindness. So a good person is oftentimes also a kind person. And again, when we talk about being kind, ammunition is more readily accepted from the kind than from the harsh. So we talk about how people, when they're critical, you don't like to be near them. But the person may not be a critical person. He may be the first time he's telling you or correcting you. But imagine his tone is very harsh. He comes to you with a very strong approach. Sometimes he doesn't work very well. Uh. People prefer the soft approach when you talk to them nicely. Uh, you notice that even when Paul writes to the, the letters, the epistles to Christians, to individuals, uh, oftentimes he uses what we call the sandwich method. Uh. He puts the good before talking about the bad. He comments the good stuff before he talks about the bad stuff. Even when John brings a message from Christ to the seven churches, 
So this he talks about the good stuff. Uh. I know thy works. I know the good that you have done before he brings about the negative stuff that they need to teach. Okay. So in the same way, when we talk about correcting a brother, we need to do so with kindness. Look for good things to say instead of being harsh with them. You know, there's a verse that's, that intrigued me when I was younger. Uh, taken from Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Where the Bible says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some will even dare to die. So when I was younger, it always puzzled me. Uh, why righteous people, people don't want to die for them? But good people, people will die for them. I thought righteous is a level higher than goodness. But why is it that people would rather die for a good man than a righteous man? But you consider the fact, of course we know in the church, elders are righteous, right? But sometimes, you know, elders may not be the best person to talk to people because people want to see the goodness in others. Maybe you have a good relationship, you've done a lot of good things to the person. Then the person that does good becomes of greater influence. So this verse is talking to us about the idea of influence. Sometimes people that are righteous talk to you, it may not be as helpful as people who are good to you and they tell you things. That's why the Bible says, let your, good, let your works shine before men, let your works shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify before your Father which is in heaven. Or let your light shine before men. So when you do good to others, people that are more receptive to you. It may not be the most perfect person, but yet because of the good we do to others, they become more receptive. So the verse tells us, good people, they have an influence. That sometimes even though righteous, righteous, they may not be able to exert that same influence to others as well. Again, we talk about the idea of goodness. Goodness is important. Because you notice that when Job's friends come to him, they came to him with an attitude of harshness. Even if what they say is true, of course we know in this case it's not, but the tone will have turned people off. Job told them, you are forgers of lies. You are physicians of no value. Why? Because of the things that they do to him. The words that they use. Very harsh words. Very condemning words. The same message can be brought forth with a more gentler approach. A more tactful approach. Okay? So we need to be able to use words wisely. Words that will edify and encourage instead of discouraging and tearing people down. But on the other hand, we see that Barnabas was someone that is known for his goodness. In fact, we see that his land, he sold the land and put the money at the apostles' feet to give to others. This was a man that his goodness was known to all. People saw that this man was willing to sell his land to give to others. Remember that the Bible tells us that he was a Levite. Uh, and Levites in the old law, they didn't own land. Uh, so this land probably didn't come to him by inheritance. In fact, this, he was from Cyprus. So probably he had to buy the land with his own hard-earned money. But when he saw the Christians that they were in need, he was so willing to sell his land to help others. The kind of goodness that people sell and make the sacrifice. Uh. You can imagine, of course, people would listen to him. So much so that he was given the, the nickname, uh, Son of Consolation, or as the New King James Version says, Son of Encouragement. You can you imagine people selling off their house to help you? Of course, you'll be more willing to listen to the person, won't we? So again, we talk about kindness being an important factor. Goodness, being able to influence others for better. And the Christians... We need to be full of this goodness. Because Philippians 4 verse 8 tells us, Finally, brethren, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Christians ought to be good towards others, and oftentimes to think the best of others. And that is only the, way, the only way that we can be able to change others when we believe in them, and we do good to them. And lastly, the last character we want to talk about, the last quality we want to talk about that helps us to be effective and is that of knowledge. 
The word knowledge comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means moral wisdom as seen in right living. So this knowledge is just not just having head knowledge. Huh? As, John, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, that knowledge puffers up, but love edifies. So knowledge is not just thinking that I know everything, because it causes us to be self-righteous. But the knowledge you are talking about is wisdom. Being able to apply the knowledge to our lives so that it manifests in right living, righteous living. So we see that admonition is readily accepted from the wise than those who are self-righteous. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, wisdom is justified of all her children. You can see wisdom in the fruits that is produced in others. So when we are wise, it helps to influence others, it helps to the fruits to be produced in others as well. We consider the case of those who are self-righteous. Of course, we are talking about the scribes and Pharisees. These people know the law very well. They had a lot of knowledge, right? But notice that the teaching wasn't effective. Why is that so? Because Jesus says that they say and they do not. They buy heavy burdens, grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So they teach others what to do, but they are not willing to do the same. And so Jesus says that, do not follow their example, even though their teachings may be correct. On the other hand, we see that having wisdom can cause one to have a lot of uh, influence, a lot of uh, uh, impact on other people. That's why it's important for people who are leadership, elders, okay, even preachers, even deacons, even Bible class teachers, to have a good example. Because the example can either cause people to be edified or people to be stumbled. Look at the example of an apostle, the apostle Peter. Notice how his example stumbled other people. Okay. He had a lot of influence, considerable influence, because he was a leader. He was someone who was well respected. He had a lot of knowledge and people respected him. But notice that he demonstrated hypocrisy. Because we see that he was having a meal with the Gentiles. But when James and the brethren, those who were circumcised, came, he withdrew from them. And notice his impact on other people. The Bible says that even Barnabas was carried away with that dissimulation. All the Jews saw Peter, what he did, they all followed the same. They all withdrew from the Gentiles. And so Paul had to rebuke him. He says, When I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live under the manner of Gentiles and not do as the Jews. Why compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He needed that rebuke because his, his example impacted a lot of other people. In the same way, when we have knowledge of God's word, when people realize that uh, people have the respect for us, we need to make sure that we do not become stumbling block to them. And so brethren, are we full of knowledge to be able to admonish others? As Ephesians 5 verse 17 tells us, do not be foolish for understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to have the knowledge and live it in our lives so that we can be good influence to others that are around us. And so in this morning's lesson, we have discussed five qualities that will make for effective ammunition. We talk about joy. Well, we need joy because we prefer ammunition from those who are pleasant than those who are critical. We spoke about peace. We again, we prefer ammunition from friends, those who are at peace with us, than from enemies. We speak about hope. We prefer ammunition for people who are optimistic of us, who have hope in us that we will change, rather than those who doubt us, who belittle us. We spoke about goodness, and we prefer good ammunition from those who are kind, rather than those who are harsh. The truth needs to be spoken in love, according to Ephesians 4 verse 15. And lastly, we talk about knowledge. We prefer ammunition from those who are wise, than those who are self-righteous. 
And brethren, we need to fill ourselves. Remember, we talk about the words feel, feel about. We need to fill ourselves with these qualities. For what purpose? If not for any other purpose, it, it should be for to be able to present every man complete in Christ. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Notice he says that we abolish every man, we teach them so that we can present everybody complete or perfect in Christ. That ought to be the purpose of our admonition. It's not to show that we are better than others or to make people feel bad. But the purpose is to lift every man up so that he can live up to the standards that Christ demands of us. In ending, I would like to, for us to imagine something. Picture yourself in a spiritual battlefield. We are fighting against the spiritual wickedness in high places. The fiery darts of the wicked are flying from across the battlefield. Unfortunately, he has pierced an exhausted comrade that was running to safety. Someone got caught in the snare of Satan. Well, this person that got attacked, he got, a, he got a pierced. He was looking towards the brethren who are safe in the trenches, looking for people who will help him. You know what were the people doing in the trenches? Well, some of them are shaking their heads in weeping and despair. Nothing can be done for him. He has been caught. Others are shouting, go and help him, go and help him. We need help. The brother is being injured. But they were there all lining up, watching and waiting for something to happen for someone to save this man. Finally, one man stepped forward, he braved the enemy bombardment, and he helped the wounded victim to safety. Question is, are we willing to be that man? You know, sometimes when brethren are fallen away, or even when brethren are living in sin, a lot of us are like those in the trenches. Okay, we say, yeah, this person does a lot of wrong. His sin should be corrected. We tell other people about it, but we never tell him about it. Our brother is caught in the stance of Satan. Do we have the courage to go there to help him? Admonishing others will not be easy, definitely. Nobody likes to be admonished. But if we do it with the qualities that Paul had called on us, then we will probably be a, in a, received in a better life. So brethren, the Lord is looking for people who will love enough in order to hurt so that they can heal. Think about it. We need to, sometimes we need to hurt people in order to heal them. Just like a doctor. A doctor, when he heals a person, sometimes it can cause a lot of hurt to the person. But it's necessary because it will heal. What will our response be? Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, God is looking for people to admonish His people, the Jews who are living in sin. He says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. It's not an easy mission, but once that needs to be done. Can we be like Isaiah to pour out sin as it is so that our brethren can be, can be taken away from the snares of Satan? And to the friends that are with us this morning, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us in the worship. And we always appreciate your zeal and desire to know God's word. So the Bible tells us <coughs> in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So when our Lord chastens us, what will our response be? Will it be like what the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he says in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, Lord, what will you have me to do? <coughs> Sorry, give me a second. We see that he suffered a rebuke from our Lord. Because Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why persecutors thou me? But he wanted to know what is the right thing to do, to be right with God. <coughs> In the same way, we ask the same question, Lord, what will you have me to do? Well, that's a good question if that's what you are considering. Because the Bible tells us what we need to do to be right with God. God has done his part, sending Jesus to die for us, and revealing us the plan of salvation in his word. <coughs> All part, is to hear the gospel, to believe the message of God's word, to repent our sins, to confess Jesus before men, and to be baptized into Christ to wash away our sins. 
and thereafter to remain faithful unto death, so that we can receive a crown of life. If any of you would like to respond to the gospel call, please do let the one beside you know, and will be glad to assist you to obey the gospel. And let us now sing the hymn of invitation and encouragement. We'll sing angry words. <coughs> angry words, oh let them never from the tongue of bridles be May the hearts that impulse ever check them and destroy the lead. Love one another, trust in the Savior. Children obey the Father's blessed command. Love one another, trust in the Savior. Children obey the blessed command. Love is much too pure and holy. Friendship is too sacred far. For a moment's reckless folly, hearts to desolate and bar. Love one another. In the Savior, children obey the Father's best command. Love one another, thus in the Savior, children obey the blessed command. Let our words be sweetly spoken, let kind thoughts be gently stirred. Show our love to one another with abundance of kind words. Love one another, thus in the Savior. Children obey the Father's best command. Love one another, thus in the Savior. Children obey the blessed. 